Romans to switch up. Romans 10, 17. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today and we ask that you would open up scripture to us. Lord, help us to hear what you would have us hear, Lord. And I pray that you would fill me afresh with your spirit, Lord, to anoint me for this service. You know what your people need, good shepherd. And I pray that you would uh, cause me to be led by your spirit in a way that would truly bring you glory and honor. I pray that as your word goes out, Lord, that it would produce fruit for your good, your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine if you inherited $100 million? Wouldn't that be great? Uh, Some people would argue, right? But what if you inherited $100 million and you didn't know it? How would that change your life? It wouldn't. It wouldn't change your life. Because in order for it to have an effect in your life, you need to know about it here and you need to act upon it. And it's the same with the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's the greatest news in all of history, all of eternity. And yet if you don't know about it, it won't have an effect on your life. And that's what Paul is getting to here. As we're going through the scripture, we're seeing that Paul is addressing this question in Romans 9, 10, and 11 about, okay, if, if the gospel is, if Israel is God's chosen people, then why are so many Jewish people rejecting the gospel, not accepting Christ as their uh, savior? Is it because God has failed in his promises? And it says, nope, that's not it at all. And he's giving reasons why. And as we said a couple weeks ago, God chooses who's saved, and um, that divine election is part of why. Well, God also has a means and a way that he brings people to himself. And that way is preaching the gospel. That's what he does. He uses the gospel to draw people to himself. And so we know that according to Scripture, God draws us, God opens up our eyes. But the common sense here in the Word of God is so wonderful because it basically says, you know, in order to believe the gospel, you have to hear it. That's the wonder, I, that's the wonder of the Word of God to me. There's things in the Word of God that are so deep that we can never hope to fully understand them. And yet, common sense is not so common anymore. So what happens is, he just takes us through common sense things sometimes. And this message is one of them for Paul. He's just saying some basic things. He's saying, listen, in order to respond to the gospel, you must hear it. And so what Paul doing now in this verses 10, starting in verse 14, is he's shifting his emphasis. It's going from rejecting or accepting the gospel to how is the gospel brought to people? How is it delivered? And that's what he's going to. Take a look at God's word. We're going to go back one verse, verse 13, because this is what we finished up with last week. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not never heard? 
How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What we see here is Paul's asking rhetorical questions. And what he's doing is he's using those questions to explain the process on how the gospel goes forth. That's what he's doing. And he's doing something really interesting. And I like to to tie this in. He's using the verb at the end of every question. He's using the same verb to start the next question. That's why it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, how will they call on him? They who have not believed, how are they going to believe in him and whom they have heard? Heard, hear, preaching, preach. So he's tying it all together. It's a Bible study technique. We can see that what Paul is doing is he's laying down a sequential progression on how this gospel gets to people because they can't be saved if they don't hear the gospel, he's saying. So a very common sense. And what we see the pattern is this. He has messengers that are sent by God. You say, wait a minute, it says preaching, preach. I'm not going to use that term. I'm going to use messengers instead of preaching. Here's why. I think sometimes we default to the preachers and the missionaries. It's their job to do this, not mine. The messengers are sent by God. The messengers proclaim the gospel. People hear the word of Christ, the gospel. Some will have faith and believe in Christ. And those who do will call upon the Lord and be saved. That word preach and preaching, just a a little background. In the Greek, that word is herald. Hark the herald angels sing. What is a herald? Yeah, I mean, they knew it back then. What is it today? A herald is someone who is sent under the authority of a king to proclaim the king's message. So the king gives them authority, says, you go tell them this. And then that messenger goes and tells them that. They cannot, they cannot tell them what they want to tell them. I would imagine sometimes those heralds had to deliver some pretty bad information, and they might have even been afraid for their lives because they're thinking, hey, if I tell them this, they're going to kill me. They couldn't adjust the message. They couldn't make it more palatable so that the people wouldn't, Go against them. And that's important for us to understand because in today's world, it's so easy to take the gospel and try to update it. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't communicate in ways that, people, that are relevant today, but we want to change the gospel. We want to make it say something it doesn't say because people will receive it better and I don't want to be rejected. We need to understand right away, right away that The gospel is offensive to people. It's going to offend people just by the fact that it's the gospel. Okay, so we don't have to be offensive in delivering it, but we need to be understanding that we don't change it. The gospel doesn't need updating. God doesn't need help. Okay, we don't need to adjust it to culture and say, well, we shouldn't say that. We shouldn't use those words. We shouldn't uh, preach that people are sinners because, you know, you got to have a positive message and you can't tell people they're sinners. My goodness, what will they think? Well, they might think they're sinners, right? And then, they get, then the gospel opens up to them. So what we see is this, is that uh, the messenger is sent with the king's message, not their own. They don't adjust it. That's what a herald was. And the messengers of the gospel are sent by God and are speaking for Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you come to this church and you grow in your faith, it's not about 
me saying anything. It's about God doing something in your heart. It's about the Holy Spirit working in you. Because he's the one who opens up and helps us to understand the word of God. And see, what he's saying here is that, listen, the messengers are sent to speak the gospel, to share the gospel. What that tells me as well is that, you know what? We need to do more than just lifestyle evangelism. You know, lifestyle evangelism is this. Well, they'll know I'm a Christian by the way I live. I don't have to tell them about the gospel. I'll just live as a Christian, and they'll know it. The problem with that is there's a lot of people that live really moral lives that aren't Christians, and so then they would come to that conclusion that they're Christians too. I'll give you an example. Mormons, some of the most moral people you'll ever run across. So if it was just about lifestyle evangelism, people would naturally assume that they're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it can't be just lifestyle evangelism. We have to proclaim the gospel. We have to share the gospel with people. Tell them this is what's happening. So lifestyle evangelism is good. We need to do that. We need to live like believers. That's part of the fruit of truly being saved. That our lives will be different than the world and will be a shining example to the world. It's part of it's the fruit of being saved. But we need to proclaim it with our mouths. We need to tell people about the gospel, all that it entails, and who Christ is and what he has done for them. So it can't be just living it. We've got to do more than that. We need to actually share it. And what we see here in this section of Scripture is that Jesus himself is the one who is calling. He's the one who is inviting. He is the one who is drawing people when the gospel is being proclaimed. Take a look. We're going to continue on with what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. That's why I say we have to tell them. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. What we see here is that when the gospel is shared, God does something with the very message that we present. He quickens in people. It, it comes alive. He, he draws us to himself through it. And it makes faith possible. We know that from beginning to end, it's a work of God. From beginning to end, it's a work of God. From the point where we receive the gift of salvation all the way until we're with the Lord in heaven and fully sanctified. It's all a work of God. He grants us the wisdom to have faith. He opens up our hearts to that. And so what we find is that uh, the gospel message opens up our hearts to faith. God does that work. And the other thing is, is that... Um, the Holy Spirit has to work as well. He has to open our eyes, our ears, or we don't understand the gospel. It doesn't make sense to us, is what he's saying here in Corinthians. It doesn't make sense. The gospel doesn't make sense. I don't know how you, if you remember a time when you were lost before you came to receive the gift of salvation. I do. I was lost. I was like 22 or whatever it was, so I had a whole lot of life experience behind me as far as sin. And the gospel never made sense to me. Christians never made sense to me. Okay, But then what happened was somebody preached the gospel to me and suddenly it started to click. What was happening? The Holy Spirit was happening. He was opening up my eyes to understand things. 
And throughout this whole process as I'm growing in God, the Holy Spirit is doing a work. You know that time where you got saved and suddenly it made sense to you. And then all of a sudden something else made sense to you. And now this and this. And each time that you say, oh, I didn't see that before. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's the Holy Spirit. He's doing the work. It's not us. If you come here, like I said, and you get anything out of the sermons, it's not Dan. It's the Holy Spirit working. That's his job because he's going to make things that we don't quite get understandable. And the gospel is where it starts, something that seemed foolish to us when we were younger or before we knew Christ. And all of a sudden it makes sense because the Holy Spirit was working. God was drawing us. The miracle, do you realize the miracle that happened in your life and continues to happen in your life? You open up the Bible and you read something and you read it 20, 30, 100 times before and it never made sense. And all of a sudden it makes sense. That's God working in your life. We see that it is God at work even in our response to the gospel. God is doing a miracle. And Paul continues to build on his arguments in Romans 9 and 10 and 11. And what's happening is in, verse, in chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, Paul is building to this place where he said, anyone can get saved. It's not just the Jews. Anyone who would, re- who would believe could receive the gift of salvation. There were no cultural barriers. There were no ethnic barriers. Nothing. He's saying anyone, anyone at all, who would hear this gospel and believe could be saved. That's what he's laying down. Well, the whole argument in Romans chapter 9 was to answer this question. And 9, and it bleeds over to 10. As I said, if Israel's God's chosen people, and God made promises to them, then why aren't a lot of Jews receiving that gift of salvation? And some of the arguments might be this. Well, maybe they never heard. Maybe they never heard the gospel. Or maybe they just don't understand it. So what Paul does is he says, well, there's really no excuse for Israel's unbelief for rejecting the gospel. Take a look. He continues on in Romans chapter 10 to answer those questions. Again, common sense. Romans 10, starting in verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Why aren't they responding to the gospel? Why are so many Jews rejecting Jesus and the gospel? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to, to the ends of the earth. He said, no, they heard. They heard. They heard it in the Old Testament that it was coming a Messiah and that he was their hope. They heard it over and over again in the word of God. And then it goes on. But I ask, did Israel not understand it? Didn't they get it? They heard it, but did they understand it? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who do not seek me. I have shown myself to those who do not ask for me. Does that sound familiar? It should, because in Romans chapter 9, verse 30, Paul said basically the same thing. He's saying, the people who were not looking for me found me, the Gentiles. And the people who supposedly were, but doing it the wrong way, they thought they would be saved through good works. They, they missed me. They missed it. They didn't get it. And so Paul is basically saying the same thing here again. He's saying, listen, I'm going to open up this gospel to the nation, and you're going to, as it says here, this nation is a foolish nation, and they're going to make you angry because they have the gospel, and you don't. 
I'm going to bless them. The promises, uh, the gifts, or the, the promises in the covenant, I promise to you, I'm going to give to them as well. And that's the Gentiles. That's who we are. People who are not Jewish in background. And so that's what, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, there were people who didn't have your advantages. They heard. And that makes you angry. And that's exactly what was happening. Now, this is, this is Isaiah's prophecy hundreds of years before. And we can see it played out back then because the Israelites hated the Gentiles. That was part of their problem with the gospel, that the Gentiles could be included in this. Wait a minute. They're not, they're not God's chosen people like we are. So it got them angry. We saw what they did. Then verse 21, but of Israel... He says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The gospel went out to the ends of the earth, so Israel heard it. You know what that word heard means in the Greek? It means this. Understand the significance of the words and realize the response is required. They knew. They heard. And they knew there was a response that was required. And they didn't choose to respond. So then Paul asked that question, so they didn't understand what was being said. Right? Problem there is you have the Gentiles who did not have the theological background that the Jews had. The Jews understood all about God. They had the covenant. They had the law. They had all these things. They got it. The Gentiles didn't have that stuff. They didn't have that as a background. So basically what Paul is saying here and what God said through Isaiah was this. These Gentiles who are theologically ignorant, they got it. So if they could get it, certainly Israel could get it because they had more spiritual background than the Gentiles. So the excuse that, well, Israel heard it, but they didn't understand it, he's saying, "Uh uh-uh, no way. If the Gentiles could understand it, you could understand it, and you chose to reject it. That's what he's saying. It's incredible what's happening here. And because the Gentiles received that message, the accountability for Israel is greater. Because they had so much more blessing. You know, they knew the truths of of God's word, and they still reject Christ. I I think of people that are raised in a Christian home, the advantages that they have. They hear the gospel. So when they reject it, there's a lot more accountability because they knew the truth, and they walk away from it. So what happens here is that he's calling. He's saying, you know what? The Jews, you heard, you understood, and what was their response? They rejected the message. They rejected the messenger, Jesus. And they rejected their calling to be the messenger, to bring the good news to the world. Because if you remember, you go all the way back to Abraham. God was saying, and it's through the nation of Israel, and you're going to go out, and, and this is how, how the, the gospel is going to go out. He didn't use that term, but that's what was, he was talking about. And they didn't want to do that. So they rejected all three. And then we see our incredible God, our incredible God, his love, his mercy, because what does he do? These people who heard all of this stuff and rejected the gospel, the barrier, the reason they rejected it was their sin. That's what he's saying. He's saying our sin, their sin got in the way. They wanted to be saved by works. Their sin got in the way of them embracing the gospel. Isn't that true today? I mean, when we're struggling with sin in our lives, it seems like the last thing we want to do is read the word of God. 
when we walk in sin, the whole idea of the gospel and all the truths that are there, we kind of don't really want to draw close to that because we want to delight in our sin. And so that's a picture of what Israel's doing. And then what God does is he says, you know what, I'm not giving up on them. Just like God doesn't give up on us. Look at what it says. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God pursues us when we're running away from him. Isn't that a beautiful Savior in God? Isn't that wonderful? That he pursues us. He chases after us. He is kind, he's loving, he's merciful. And sometimes even if you know him, he's kind enough to discipline us because he disciplines those he loves. And so what we see here is we see this picture of this great God, this glorious God who this nation is rejecting him after he's given them all the advantages and he's just not ditching them. Because wouldn't we give up on people quicker than he does? I mean, I do. We pray for somebody for a year and a half and then we give up. We go, oh, that's impossible. That'll never happen. God is just persistent. He keeps coming and coming and coming because of his love, because of his mercy. And even when we are believers and we struggle with sin, God doesn't just walk away. He doesn't abandon us. If you're a believer today and you're struggling with some sin and you look at it and you say, it's a gross sin, Dan. I get it. You need to repent of it. But I want you to know God hasn't given up on you because that's not who God is. And that's evidence right there in his word. That's our God. He pursues us even when we want to run away. God remains merciful, wooing the lost, wooing Christians who are struggling. That's our God. That's a section of Scripture. I quickly went through it, and the reason I quickly went through it, and I didn't dive deeper than I normally do, is because I know that this text is not primarily a missionary missions text. I get that. But it can be implied. Okay, And a couple of weeks ago, I want to give you a little background here. A couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with a family who was considering coming here. And um, they asked me about missions, and I told them about what we do. And I realized there might be a load of people in this church that don't know about our missions ministry. And the reason I say that is because it's right there, but some, so many times we just look at it and we kind of go, oh, okay, and then we move on. We don't think about it. And so what I wanted to do, I felt at that time that the Holy Spirit laid on my heart, I want you to t- talk about the missions program at La Crescent Free. So the rest of this message is really going to be talking about that, to let you know what this church is doing by God's grace and God's mercy, okay? And it's incredible what God has done, okay? Uh, so just some basic information. What we do is we set our budget every year without missions, And whatever number that is, we multiply it by 17%, and that's what we give to missions. So this church gives 17% of our total budget to missions. Our budget, our annual budget is $327,000 a year, and $47,600 goes to missionaries. And that is unbelievable, because most churches are around maybe 3%. That's not to pat us on the back, it's to give glory to God, because he's the one that's doing it. And we have made some decisions in this church because of experience that I have had in other churches and other elders in the past have had. We have decided that we're committing to each one of our missionaries the following year the same amount that we gave them the previous year. We're not going to adjust it down. And the reason being is because they have families and they have bills and they need to take care of it too. And so we want them to know 
If we commit to you giving you $2,000 a year, you can bet that that's coming next year too. It's, it's going to be there for you. So they can make plans. They can lay it out and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And if we, It also causes us to be careful to who we add as new missionaries because we realize that whatever level we add them at, we're, going, we're making a commitment that's long-term, not one year. And the other thing is, is this, is that um, if something happens with our budget and there's a shortfall that year, we don't cut the missionaries. We don't reduce them because I've been part of churches, almost every church I've been a part of, when things go tough financially, the first thing they do is cut missions. And I said, we are not going to do that. We're going to figure out where we're going to take the money from somewhere else, but we are not going to cut back on missions, and we have not. We, made, we gave them our word, and it's important that we honor that word. And so uh, that's a commitment that we have as a leadership of this church. That's just some basic things. Um, another area that a lot of people don't know of is we have, i got to brag on them, we have an incredible missions committee. They're the ones that go through everything, look at what we, what, people that want to be supported by us, people that are being supported by us, and they do a great, great job. But a lot of people don't know who are the missions committee members. Well, here's who they are. Our committee chair is Cyrus Mason. Cyrus is right back there. Got his hand around his beautiful wife, Irina. Greg Kersher is co-chair. He was at the first service. Stephanie Campbell is on our missions committee. Ron Poppy and Lydia Danielson. And their heart is expressed in this. As a committee, we want to encourage the LEFC body to be intimately involved in the lives of our missionaries. One of the things that we have seen is a struggle in churches with missions committees or with missions missionaries that they're supporting is we don't ever hear about them. I mean... We talk about them one time of the year, when it's budget time, and who's going to get what. And we just felt like we have a responsibility to them more than just sending them a check. We want to stay connected with them. And so we're trying to do that. We could do better. We could always do better. We try to do that like through small groups. Small groups uh, basically adopt a missionary. And they try to keep in, uh, uh, see what they're doing, keep them updated. And that small group prays for them. So we don't want to just have missionaries that we send a check to we want to connect with our missionaries. And when they come home, we want to get an opportunity to see them and talk to them, uh, share some time with them. I think, I, I think one of the ways that the enemy robs this church is this. We have missionaries that come, and they have an open schedule, and they said we could meet with whoever, and we don't take advantage of that. I really believe that we're getting robbed by not spending time with them and hearing their stories. You know, it, absolutely incredible stories. These are the, the missions committee members. And you say, well, how do you decide who you're going to support as a missionary? These are just some of the highlights. This is what we use to kind of discern where, where are the finances going in this church. First of all, they're gifted, qualified, and called, called missionaries with a track record of faithful local or global evangelism or other clear evidence of passion and potency in the mission field. In other words, if you ain't doing it here, you're not going to do it over there. If you're not sharing the gospel over here with people and you've not got boots on the ground here, you probably won't do it overseas either. So we want to see a record, a track record. Then, missionary statements of faith and missions plans align with those of LEFC. We are a Reformed church in the theologically, so we want to support people who are Reformed in their theology as missionaries. And so we say, we want to have the same vision. Make sure we're all on the same page. 
The support of fewer missionaries that yield tremendous spiritual fruit will be emphasized over supporting many missionaries of variable spiritual return. When I first got here, we had a whole load of missionaries. And unfortunately, we were not supporting them financially very well, so a lot of them didn't respond when we asked them, hey, if you want to support, let us know. So we cut our missionaries down, and so we're not worried about a number. We don't want to impress you with the number of missionaries that we have. We just want people that God is really using and working through their lives. We don't care the number. God will provide. And so the numbers isn't a big deal. We don't want to brag and say, hey, we got 30 missionaries we support. And they, what we, what's not told is, yeah, we're supporting them 50 bucks a year or something like that. Next one, missions to unengaged people groups will be emphasized over engaged people groups and other types of missionary work. What does that mean, unengaged people Groups. That means that these people have no access to the gospel. There's, there's nobody, no way that they can get the gospel. There's nothing. There's no gospel witness there. Here's some statistics. It's shocking. There are 7.75 billion people in the world. 3.23 billion of those people live in unreached people groups. That's 42% of all the people in the world do not have an opportunity to hear the gospel. It's not there. The other thing is the vast majority of these 3.23 billion people in unreached people groups live in the 1040 window. So go right around the world. 95% of unreached people groups live in that 1040 window, yet less than 10% of missionary work is done among these people. Greg told me in between, he said, only 3%, only, yeah, 3%, he said it was down to 3% of all missions activity goes into the 1040 window, 3%. And yet 95% of all those in unreached people groups live in the 1040 window. And for us, that's a priority. We want to go and, and have people who are in that unreached area that don't hear the gospel. And that's where most of our missionaries are at. And finally, special consideration is given to missionaries and short-term missions trips involving LEFC members and regular attendees. Not this week, but the following week. Our youth are going to Rochester, Minnesota, and they're going to be uh, setting up like a, a Bible camp. And those kids are going to share the gospel with primarily children from migrant workers' families. And so they're going to go there and they're going to share. And God's going to work through them, and God's going to work in them. And that's a priority for us. We want those kids to see what God is doing. And so please pray for our kids, our youth. Next week they're going out to share the gospel with with young people. Now, I have to say this because, um, Steve, we need to turn off the camera and turn off the audio.